So brother, uh, brother Hank is working on helping us get the sound put at the back of the church. So I don't have to. Do, we have somebody doing the sound. I don't have to go run back there and do the sound and everything. So y'all be praying for brother Hank. Be praying about that. We're trying to get better internet. We're just trying to as as the church is growing. We're trying to grow with it. And I appreciate y'all's faithfulness to the church. Appreciate y'all being here. Uh, brother Adams and I, we were here at 1010, and there was just me and him. I thought, brother, and, he, and I think Brother Adams asked me, he goes, is everybody going to be gone for Labor Day? I said, I don't know, brother. Well, I, we were wrong, Brother Adams. They're in here this morning. Amen. They made it in. All right, so Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And before I get going into this, guys, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, just, we do love you. We thank you, Lord, for these people that love you, Lord, that come out to hear from you, Lord. I pray, Father, you feed them, Lord, like holy manna come down from heaven. Lord, we're your sheep. Lord, we're looking to be fed, Father. I pray, Lord, as we open up your book, open up your word, Lord, as we read it, we pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will lead. God, direct us into all truth, Lord. God, help us understand, Lord, how to, be, how to be a better church, Lord, but also to notice, Lord, when you're pointing out the bad church, Lord, what we need to not do. And, Father, we do thank you for your reprove, your rebuke, Lord, help us to be zealous to repent, Lord, in Jesus Christ. Holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel in the church in Philadelphia, right? These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Now, what we have going on here is Jesus Christ is writing to the seven churches of that time. And this represents the seven church periods. You can follow these letters and they represent church history. So this, as we get into this, we're going to see that this church history is going to represent from 1500 to 1900 A.D. 1500 to 1900 A.D. is what this church period is going to represent. And so every word you're reading here... If you got a Bible, it's red letter. It's going to be in red letter, and that's going to be the words of Jesus Christ. That's important because you can't get around trying to deny this, that this is the words of Jesus Christ and Him writing them to you, and they're there for you to read. And you can't say, well, this is to the Jew or this is to somebody. This is to everybody in this room. And He says He's holy, He's true, He has the key of David, which is a Jewish thing. He that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth, and no man openeth. If you have any decision to make in your life, if you have any decision to make in your life, why don't you pray to Jesus Christ, the one that can open and close the doors? Because we don't know what we should do. And sometimes we think we should do something, and it's the wrong decision. And with 2020 vision, we look back and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have went through that door, or I wish that door would have closed. Pray to Jesus Christ. He's the one that opens the door. He's the one that closes the door. Just pray, Lord, if this is the thing I should do, will you open up the door? If this is something I shouldn't do, will you close the door? And I'm stubborn-headed like a donkey. You know, we talked about, we talked, we looked down there at the festival and we seen they had some pet, a petting zoo down there. So we got a bright idea. Okay, I admit it, it's my stupid idea. Like, hey, we could bring a bunch of goats, the Marwitz's goats up here. Some of y'all could bring y'all's dogs and we could have a petting zoo. Man, th there was a crowd over there. We could get a good crowd over there. And then Shirley, she recommended that I play the donkey. <laughs> I did. I think that, was, that, wasn't very, that wasn't very nice. I don't know why she feels that way. Play the donkey. He says, open the door, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Yeah, there's times where I'm so mule-headed that when I pray, I want to do something, and I say, Lord, close that door. And then I'd say, Lord, 
Make sure you nail that door. Put something on that door. Weld that door if it's a metal door, Lord, because I will sit there and try to beat my way through that door because that's what I want to do. And, Lord, please shut it. And if you shut it, Lord, no man openeth it. See that? No man openeth. Philadelphia, that word Philadelphia, this church period, it translates as brotherly love. This is going to be the best church period in all of history for church history. And it ran from about 1500 A.D., it represents 1500 A.D. to about 1980. It's by far the best church period in church history. It's the best church. He's going to commend them all the way through. He's going to say nothing but good things about them. All the great soul winners, all the great evangelists, all the great missionaries, all the great revivals are going to take place between 1500 and 1900 in church history. It's amazing. All the great revolutions in art and science and music and industry and travel and discovery, all the great stuff that happened in church history, happened in world history, is going to happen in this time of great church history. It's amazing when you study it out. And what it is, is simple this. God's Word was translated into English, the universal language of today and that day. So what happened is the King James came to, they had different, they had the Bishop's Bible, had Geneva Bible, they were arguing back and forth because they were putting notes into these different Bibles. And King James he, of England, he said, you know what, we need to have one standard Bible. We need to get translators together, and we need to get the great translators of our day, there was about 72 of them, get them together and translate the Bible so we can get it into the common man's hand. So they'll have the word. So if you were here with me when I was teaching about the Catholic Church controlling church history, back the church before this, Sardis, they were, that was considered, in world history, that's considered the Dark Ages. There was no advancements in science, no advancements in music, in literature, in art. There was no advancements in uh, religion. There was no advancements in anything because the Catholic Church had such a stranglehold on the, on the world at that time. They were, and what they were doing is they were keeping the common man from getting the Bible in their hands. This is a Catholic system. Read it. This is not something that's just new to me like I'm coming up with this. This is world history, church history. And if you tried to translate this Bible from Latin or Greek into the English language, they would murder you. They would kill you. They would burn you at the stake. One of the last guys that got burned at the stake, William Tyndale was being burned at the stake, and as he's being burned at the stake, his last prayer, it was recorded, was, Lord God, open the eyes of the king of England as he was being burned alive. And it wasn't 40 years later that King James had his conference, and he said, we need to translate the Bible. And the King James did not put his fingers on this Bible. This Bible originally was called the Authorized Version. It's called the King James because he, he gave out the proclamation, we need to translate the Bible. He didn't translate this Bible. And they tried to attack King James. He had nothing to do with this Bible. He, just, he was the king that said, we need to get it done. And the Bible says, where the word of a king is, there is power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. So for the first time in world history, before then, the Paulicians, the Lollards, the Bergamiles, the Waldesians, they had the Word of God, but they were not part of the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church was killing them by the thousands, and they were hiding out, and they had to run, and the Catholic Church was after them. Bloody uh, Queen uh, Mary, Bloody Mary, she was after the Christians trying to kill them. These were just Bible believers like me and you that had a Bible, we believed in the Bible, and they actually had a copy of it. Well, the, the church was keeping everybody else from getting a copy of it. At this time in world history, in church history, the Bible was finally given to a common man. And we could have it. 
And we could read it. And you know what happens when a person gets a hold of the Bible? They won't believe what the Catholics teach anymore. That's what happens. Because when you get a Bible, you'll say, that's not in here. That's not in here. That's not in here. So the authority for the first time in history for the whole world was starting to be put on this Bible. 400 years later, guys, you still got that book in your lap if you got a King James Bible in here. You think about This is a 400-year-old book translated. And it's just as relevant today as it was 400 years ago. Even more. Even more. If for thou hast a little strength and has kept my word and has not denied my name. The Bible is a king of books. It's always going to be the king of books. There's no book like it. There's never going to be a book like it. And when I say the Bible, I'm talking about the authorized King James 1611. That's what I mean when I say that. I don't mean the NIV. I don't mean the NLT. I don't mean the ESV. I'm talking about the King James Bible. It's king of kings and lord of lords as far as I'm concerned when it comes to the Bible, the translations. And it stood the test of time. And that, that's where... That's where uh, Manuscript evidence comes in, and I don't have the time to go into that, and I, I want to get a guy in here that will teach you all that and do a better job than me. Look at verse 8. If you got this Bible I keep talking about, Jesus Christ says, I know thy works. Notice every church, he says, I know your works. I know thy works, guys. He knows our works in here. He knows our works, and that should humble you down. We need to be working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Why did he open it? For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and has not denied my name. What is he commending them for? Keeping his word. You know where his word is found today? It's found in this book right here. If you're in here and you're, you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're in here and you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it's because somewhere, somehow, sometime, some date, a, somebody told you what this Bible says about Jesus Christ. You realize that? Everything we believe about Jesus Christ comes out of this book. Everything you put your, you, you guys in here putting your faith in going to heaven, what you're putting your faith in is found in this book. And he says, I'm commending them because they kept my word. They kept my word. Guys, if we, if we need to do anything as a church in here that Jesus Christ will be happy for, it'll be keeping his word. See, what I think... Uh, Every pastor should do, and I try to strive to do it, it's why I do it, is to make sure that y'all know y'all got the book. Not me. Y'all got the book. You go home and read it. You study it. You do it yourself. You got the, God gave it to you. Maybe I've studied it a little bit more than you. Maybe uh, I've looked at some things a little bit more than you, but you got the same access to it that I have. That's a wonderful thing. You don't have to go to a priest and, hey, Holy Father, will you tell me what the Holy Father... No, you got it. Praise the Lord. And I think that's what everybody should be in a church like. I'd, I'd love being in where I got the book. Verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. So all through church history, you have this, it's called replacement theology. It's this teaching, and the Catholic Church teaches it, and some other denominations teach this. They teach that the Christian has replaced the Jew. So all the blessings that God had promised the Jew, like one of the greatest blessings that God promised the Jew was this. I'm going to give you that piece of land, and I'll never take it away from you. It's yours. It's an everlasting covenant. 
So some people come in with their Bible and they say, no, God's done away with the Jews, so now that land belongs to us. That's what the Catholic Church believes. We studied this last week, so they send out armies of crusading armies to go and capture Jerusalem because they think it belongs to them, and it doesn't belong to them. Guys, that piece of land over there in Israel does not belong to you. It doesn't belong to the Southern Baptist Convention. It doesn't belong to anybody. It doesn't belong to America. It belongs to the Jew. And one of the greatest signs that Jesus Christ is about to come back is when the, 1948 when the Jew got back into that land. You know, if y'all were in Sunday school with me and we were going through uh, Job and we seen all the persecution that Job went through, and then we talked about how God's working out a plan for you, God, before the Israel got back their land, the Jew had to suffer six million deaths. One of the worst genocides ever took place in history took place the Nazis did to the German, the German Nazis did to the Jews. And what did God do with that suffering and all that holocaust? He gave them a way to get that land back. Well, you better get ready. Jesus is coming. And that's what we're reading about. Right? He's coming. And that, when that Jew gets back in the land, well, you better watch out. So what happened is, I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. That's back in Revelation 3.8. So this is when all the great missionaries took place. Now that the man, the common man, has the word of God, they want to tell people about Jesus, just like what we did yesterday. We want to be out there and say, hey, I want to tell you what Jesus did for me when I received him as my Lord and Savior. So you have men and women go all over the world. Livingston, you've got Finney, you've got Wesley, you've got... Godforth, you got Taylor, you got uh, Martin, you got Duff, you got Ramby, Robert Moffat. That's a real famous one. All these missionaries at this time in church history, in this church period, they go out and they got the word and they're preaching Jesus Christ. That's when all this takes place. These are Bible believers going to all the known world. And God, it's Jesus Christ has opened up this door, this missionary door. To this day, that door is still open. Look at that wall right there. It's still open. We've got 16 missionaries out on the field that we're supporting all over the world. And why are we doing that? Because that's the mission of the church, to get the good news out that Jesus Christ is still in the saving business. The world wants to forget about Jesus, but he's still in the saving business. Jesus still saves. This is a time where no man, he opens that door, a missionary door, and no man can shut it, and all the missionaries go out. All this time period was one of the greatest movements of missionary in, in church history. It's amazing. This is when Columbus discovers America. All the great discoveries start taking place in this time. Columbus is discovering America. Now, we know that the Indians were here. The Vikings probably discovered it. But we're talking about whenever the world changed, this time period. All the great artists... Leonardo da Vinci, all the great artists you can think of, they got, you can trace them back to this time period. All the great musicians, Bach, Beethoven, think about it. When you hear about what's the greatest musician you've ever heard of, people say Mozart, Bach, Beethoven. That's all in this time period. This is, what happens is the church and world history, they're in the dark ages. And when this Bible, this light of the world gets translated, where men and women have the Bible, there's, an, there's a revolution that takes place. It's so powerful that the world calls it the Renaissance period. And what happened? Because this book got into our hands. We finally got the book, the Word of God. And that's what he's saying here. You've kept my word. I'm going to open up a door. And, and Dr. Ruttman's got a pretty good book on uh, musicians and music. If you ever can catch that book, it's a pretty good book. 
all the great scientists, Isaac Newton, Kepler, all these great scientists you, that, we, that science today even give credit to these great men of God. Isaac Newton was a great man of God. He studied the Bible as much as he studied science. And he had some crazy ideas about the Bible. But he was a Bible believer. He believed in God and he believed in this book that you have in your hand. The same book you have in your lap is the book that Isaac Newton used. All the great preachers of world history came through here. Martin Luther started the Reformation to try to get the people out of the Catholic system. Martin Luther, great man of God. Charles Wesley, John Wesley, the two great brothers that started the Methodist movement that today is the Methodist church. So the Lutheran church that's right down the road here, it started by this dude. The, the Methodist church, it was started by the two Wesleys, John and Charles Wesley. A lot of the hymns that you have in your book are written by John Wesley in your hymn book. These are great men of God. Great, people always say, well, you're a Baptist, blah, blah, blah. I have a love for the Lutherans, and I have a love for the Methodists. They're wrong on some stuff, but I still love them. <laughs> great history, brother. These are great preachers, street preachers, street preaching. They, they preached out in the streets like we did yesterday. They went out, and they got with the people, and they tried to lead them to Jesus Christ. This is time period. George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. All this is in this time period. This man right here, Benjamin Franklin, the famous Benjamin Franklin. He claimed that when George Whit Whitfield would preach, he preached in front of 20 to 30,000 people, open air preaching, no microphone. He would preach, and, they, and Benjamin Franklin said he got back as far as he could. He estimated it was a mile that he could hear George Whitfield preaching. That's what Benjamin Franklin said. Him and Benjamin Franklin were good friends, George Whitfield and Benjamin Franklin. Great man of God, great preacher. These are great preachers of this time. My favorite one of this time is Dwight L. Moody. That's my hero. Dwight L. Moody's my hero. If you know, don't know anything about Dwight L. Moody, look him up. There's some doc documentaries about Dwight L. Moody. He's a great man of God. He's, his church that he started out in, they, would, they had to pay for the pew. Families would rent pews. So like you'd pay a little bit of money and you come in, that's my pew, and you come and sit down. You know, what, you know what Dwight L. Moody did? He took the scum, he took the poor people, and he rented the first two pews, and he brought in all the scum and the poor people and set them up in them. That's what he did. He was not educated. He didn't go to school. He didn't go to seminary. What, what Dwight L. Moody did is he, he got on fire for God. And he literally led millions of people to Jesus Christ. Clarence Larkin, one of the greatest teachers of the Bible, was in this time period. He has the greatest books of the Bible, that's Clarence Larkin. All this is in this time period. Look at verse 10 of Revelation. Look at verse 10 of Revelation. We'll look at verse... Let, let me stop there in the middle of verse 9. I didn't get all the way through verse 9. I apologize. Let's go, go back up to verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. I have loved thee. So that's, that, that's that what I was talking about with the Jews where they were, they're trying to say that that's that replacement theology where some were saying, hey, the Jews are no longer there. I'm the Jew. I'm getting all the promises of God. The promises you have is through Jesus Christ. That's your everlasting covenant. The sure mercies of David. But the Jew has a special covenant with God. They're God's chosen people. They're earthly people. And I'm here to tell you, don't mess with the Jew. 
God said, I'll bless them that bless thee, I'll curse them that curse thee. Talking about the Jew. And that's true all through world history. All through world history. Don't mess with the Jew. And don't lie and say you're a Jew. Or say you've replaced the Jew. He says, I'm going to make those people come down to your feet and say, and, and they're going to come worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. You know, there's some of your enemies that are going to have to come worship at your feet. What do you think about that? Some of y'all are already thinking of the enemies that are going to have to bow down. <laughs> Verse 10, because thou hast kept, kept the word, kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. He's talking about this tribulation period that's about to take place that we're about to go through with the Antichrist rising up. Verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. When he, ha when he comes, it's going to be quick. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. See, in here you're earning rewards, Christian. You're earning rewards. And he knows thy works. We're going to all stand as Christians. As Christians, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be judged if we're saved or not, but to be judged what we did for Jesus Christ. And you're going to, some of us are going to get crowns. Some of us are not going to get crowns. But he says, be careful. Don't let any man take thy crown. Don't lose your rewards. Don't lose your rewards. Verse 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. Now look at this in the middle of verse 12. And I will ride upon him. Jesus is going to ride on you, and he's going to write the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. What's that name? I don't know. Jesus is going to have a new name. But every Christian in here, God, Jesus Christ says, I'm going to write, you, write on you the name of my God. Is that going to be Jehovah? Elohim? The great I Am? He's going to write on the name of New Jerusalem. That's where we're, that's where we're going to be staying in New Jerusalem. It's going to come down from heaven in the new name of Jesus. What is that new name of Jesus? I don't know. He knows. See, that's why you, this Yahshua movement, Yahshua, this movement was saying, you're not, we shouldn't be calling Jesus Jesus. He should be called Yahshua or Yeshua. And that you can't, if you called him by Jesus, then you didn't call him the right name. And they, this is all this crazy, kooky movement. And when I've been confronted about that, what I've told everybody that's confronted me about that, I always tell them, Jesus goes by about 100 different names. What do you mean? I, if you call out to the great I Am, he's Jesus, he's the Lamb of God, he's the Savior of the world. He's the, he's the bread of life. He's the resurrection. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. How many names can I... I can't keep going. I can go on and on. He's got to, going to have a new name in there. He that hath the ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right. This next church period, starting in verse 14 all the way to verse 22. This is us. This is me and you. Get ready. This church period represents me and you. The Laodicean. If you've ever heard pastors or other Christians saying, we're living in the Laodicean church period. We're living in the Laodicean. That's what they mean. This church period. And you're not going to hear Jesus say anything good about them. He's not going to say anything good about them. So we don't want to act like this. 
So what you're seeing here is a contrast. Philadelphia, brotherly love. There's a lot of love. They were keeping the word. They were getting out. God, Jesus Christ was opening up doors for them. All that great stuff was happening for them. And we saw in church history and world history how the world just exploded. But now we're going to get into the end times, the last days, the last church before the rapture. And when this takes place, it's bad. Laodicea. Laodicea means rights of the people. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what everybody talks about? What about my rights? What about me? What about me? Me, 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 I, I, I. What about my rights? Where am I going to get mine? What about my rights? It's what it translates with the rights of the people. Laodicea. This church period is going to represent about 1900 A.D. to today. We're living in that last period. Verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write... These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Okay, so there's two things in this verse I'm going to talk about. First off is, see there, verse 14, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. That's the only church that is of, they own the church. Now see, what I just told you is a lie. And what I just told you, I just repeated to you what I heard another preacher preach one time. And he preached it, and I wrote it in my Bible. And if you come by and look at my Bible, I wrote what he wrote in my Bible. Well, he said in my Bible, because I said, I said, said, that's good. And I wrote it in my Bible, and now I have it X'd out in my Bible. You know why? Because that's not true. <laughs> it's not the only church that's of. And he tried to say, if you, he, you go back to Philadelphia, it says, of the church in Philadelphia, you see that in verse, uh, verse 7? And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia? See, he says, see... Uh, Jesus is in that church, but he's not in the Laodicean church of the Laodiceans. The only problem with preaching that is that's not true. Because <laughs> in Ephesians it says of. When you come, turn back to Ephesians, it says of. You don't have to, but it says of the church of Ephesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. My point about bringing this up is that why are you saying all this, Pastor? Why are you wasting my time? I'm not wasting your time. What I'm trying to educate you is that you need to study it for yourself. Don't trust what I say. Because I might be wrong. I couldn't get an amen on that? Amen. amen. Trust and study it for yourself. Search it out. Brothers and sisters, I've taught something for years and years and years. And one day I'm in my office and I'm like, hmm, I was wrong. What about all those years you were preaching it and teaching it? I hope y'all were studying it for yourself. Because <laughs> I'll get up there and say, hey man, I was wrong. This, that, 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 that. I'm not infallible. I'm for sure not the smartest man in this room. Study it for yourself. That's the best. If you listen to any, two things you need to hear this morning. If you got ears to hear, listen to this. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And without Him, you're going to hell. Here's the second bit of advice you need to hear. Study the Word of God yourself. God has blessed you enough to give it in your hands. I've shown this video, and I'm going to pull it back up one of these days, but i got a video of the, over in China. Almost get, I get emotional every time I think about it. They had a box of Bibles. They finally were able to get into the Chinese people, and they swarmed that box, and the video shows them swarming that box, and they can't even hand them out because people are grabbing them, and, and you see them, they grab that Bible, and they hold it like this, and they're just tears rolling down as they're going like that. And we, each one of us probably had five to ten Bibles sitting at home. We're blessed in this country. 
God's going to hold us accountable. Spoiled children of God, God's going to hold us accountable. Study it for yourself. Read it for yourself, brothers and sisters. This book is powerful, and when you're reading it, it's working on your heart. It'll keep you out of sin. And the second thing I want to show you out of verse 14, these things say the amen, the faithful and true witness. Look at this at the end of verse 14. The beginning of the creation of God. So a Jehovah's Witness, if you run into a Jehovah's Witness, they believe that Jesus was a created being. We know, according to the Word of God, that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. What Jesus Christ is, He was born as a man, but God manifests into Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been manifested by God. God manifests into Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, has always been. John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's enough right there. So a Jehovah's Witness will tell you Jesus is not God. He's not, he's not, much, he's not very special. He died, but they always, try, they, make, they always try to demote Jesus Christ from being King of kings and Lord of lords. And anybody who does that is a devil. Because Jesus Christ gets all the honor and glory. Amen, he does. Amen. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. But they try to say he's not God. He's just a created being. And this is the verse they use. End of verse 14, the beginning of the creation of God. So I had a Jehovah's Witness one time. I was talking to him. He opened up. He goes, turn to Revelation uh, 3.14. He reads that, the beginning of the creation of God. He goes, is that Jesus? I said, yes, sir. He said, see, Jesus was created in the beginning. And I looked like that, and then he took his Bible, and he closed it. He said, okay, let's go. And he left before I could figure it out because I didn't have the answer. But you know what I did as soon as that dog left my house? I got the answer. And what the answer is, because I knew it wasn't right, I just couldn't figure it out. What the answer is, they're trying to make Jesus the object and not the subject of that sentence. So Jesus is the subject of that sentence. Jesus is the one that created everything. He's the beginning. It begins with him and it ends with him. Amen? Amen? Did he not say in the beginning, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we know that in Colossians chapter 1, it says, All things were created by him and all things consist by him. He's the creator. He's your creator. He's the creator of every Jehovah's Witness, and he's God Almighty. So if you, there you go. I gave you the answer to that if you ever get hit by a Jehovah's Witness. Now, this doesn't give the authority to go chase them down and say, hey, I'm going to show you something where you're wrong. I, was gonna, I saw one. He, was, he kept rolling and polying. This guy kept rolling polying back and forth to the food truck. And I kept watching him. Rolling, polying, rolling, polying. You know, he's... And I thought, I want to go mess with him. And the Lord's like, nope. Don't mess. I thought, I'm going to go mess with him. You know what I wanted to tell him? Hey, man, good luck with grave fire is what I want to go tell him. If you don't know what that means, study that out. Grave fire. All right, verse 15. I need to get going and finish. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. This is just a lukewarm church. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is the last, this is the last church period before the rapture. Now, I believe in the rapture. It means it's a calling out of believers before the great tribulation period. I believe in the rapture. Everybody in this room is a believer is going to be raptured out before the great tribulation period happens. And I'm going to preach on that. This is the rise of apostasy in church history. Starting about 1900, this is the rise of apostasy. When you study this out, it's pretty enlightening. It really opens your eyes. So the Mormons, they started in this time period. The Mormons started in the 1800s, 1820s. The Seventh-day Adventists, they started in the 1860s. Every major uh, weird 
cult or offbeat denomination is going to start in this. Jehovah's Witness started in the 1870s. The Christian Science Movement started in the 1870s, Mary Baker Eddy. The Charismatic Movement, which when I say the Charismatic Movement, which leads to that name it and claim it, that type of, uh, of stuff that's not biblically based. You, you see this in the churches today. That's when all that started in the 1900s. And then the prosperity message that the church is dealing with today in the 2000s came up. All this is in this church period. And before about 1820s, there was none of this. All of the major cults that you know of started in the 1800s. It's kind of amazing. Because that's why. That's, it's the end times, brothers and sisters. The, the devil knows he has just a short time. Man, he's ramping it up. He's ramping it up. The effect on that is you've got a lack of sound doctrine resulting in a falling away. Nobody knows what to believe. Nobody knows what they believe. Nobody knows what they believe about baptism. Nobody knows what they believe about salvation. Nobody even, they argue about what, who Jesus actually is. To the, far, to the, to the, to the fault and to the part to the, where they don't have sound doctrine, so they're falling away. They stop going to church. When I go to church, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand what's going on. So the corruption of the Word of God, what you have now is that for 400 years, well, excuse me, for 200 years, 300 years, this book was supreme. And the devil couldn't stop it. And God had opened up the door. But at the end of the church age, we stopped keeping this word and we started corrupting this word. And the devil got in. The devil says, you know what? I can't keep y'all from spreading the word. So what I'll do is I'll corrupt the word. And so the revised, uh, revised committee got together and they created the revised version, a new translation. And they started taking some words out and changing some things up. And then it just started this avalanche of the American Standard Version, 1901 to 1963, the new American Standard Version. Then you had the NIV come out. Now there's a new NIV. There's all kinds of different translations of even the NIV now. They argue back and forth about that. The NIV crowd doesn't like the new version they started. They want to go back to the 1973 version. It's just... It's unbelievable. It's the devil. What does Jesus Christ say about the devil whenever you plant the seed? He said he comes along and he takes that seed away. Takes this word. Takes it away. Over 200 different translations of the Bible as a speaker. There's actually over, getting closer, probably 300 now. Different translations of the Bible. It's confusion. It causes confusion. The effect of that is that there's no final authority in the churches. You have your saying, I have my saying. You have your Bible, I have my Bible. No, there's no final authority. That's one thing good about being in a church where you say, hey, this is the book, this is the final authority. If you don't understand how important it is to have a final authority, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to leave that right there. Get myself in trouble. Here it is. This is a modern day church. So verse 15, he says, I know thou works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, work, I would thou work cold or hot. Jesus said, I wish you were cold, I wish you were hot. See, because if you're cold, you know something's wrong. Something's wrong, you're cold, we're cold, we're dry, the church is dead, it's not moving. You know something's wrong. And if you're hot, praise the Lord, you're on action, you're on fire for the Lord. But if you're not hot, and you're not cold, and you're lukewarm, you're sitting, you don't know. You think, you think everything's okay when it's not okay. You're like the frog sitting in the water. You're getting boiled up and you don't realize it's about to boil your life. This is the modern day church. He says it in verse 16. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So I'll just vomit you out. Jesus is sick of us. Jesus is sick of the modern day church. It's all about themselves. They don't care about the poor. They don't care about anybody. They don't want to get out and reach the lost. Were there other churches out there? 
Saturday? I'm not going to name names. There are other churches out there. There are other churches out there. I didn't see a gospel track one. They were doing wonderful things with the kids. God bless them. It looked fun. I wouldn't want to do it, but it looked fun. <laughs> Would they tell him? I don't know. There was no literature. There was no gospel preached. What is the church for but to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm all about having fun. But if we come in here and we have a good time and nobody hears about Jesus Christ and the gospel, I failed as a pastor. My main purpose, the reason I drive from Brownwood is not to hang out with everybody. It's to preach Jesus Christ. I want to see people saved. I want lives changed for His honor and for His glory. And it's not, I don't want the Lord to get so sick of me. He's like, I'm just going to vomit you out. Because look at what He says in verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I heard this said one time and I wrote it down in my Bible. This is what people do. People buy things they don't need with money they don't have to try to impress people they don't even like. And that's so true. Increase with goods and have need of nothing. That's what the church thinks today. We got the big, we got the big youth buildings, we got the gymnasiums, we got the big buildings, we got all we need. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Ouch. <laughs> Who said that? Jesus. Who's he saying that about? Us? Christians? Modern day Christians? How we think, we think we got it made, we don't need anything, we're kind of lukewarm. I don't know if I'll read my Bible. I don't know if I'll tell I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And Jesus Christ, you know what? You're wretched. See, I talked about the judgment seat of Christ earlier. And I'm going to tell you guys, if you study out the judgment seat of Christ, and I preached on it not too long, it's terrifying. You're going to stand before the creator of the universe, and he knows everything you did, and everything you should have done, and everything you didn't do. And every, th every time you did it, if you did it for, to be seen of men, or if you did it out of the heart for somebody else or for God, he's going to know all of that. And you're going to stand before somebody who knows everything about you, to the, knows every sin, every skeleton hidden in the closet. You're going to stand before him, let him judge you. My knees want to knock right now. He said, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This is Joe Osteen's church down in Houston. It, there's, last I heard, there's 5,000 members there. Guys, you can't put me in front of 5,000 people. I have half of them want to kill me if I preach the Word of God. Right? I'll get y'all mad at me, and there's just 20 of y'all in here. Let me get 5,000. They'll have me stoned hanging up there. And just, the only way you do this is to compromise, is to back off and to tickle their ears. That's the only way you can do this. That's the only way. That's the only way. I've preached for 20 years. I've had so many people get mad at me at this church, and I'll say, that's just what the Word of God says right there. I don't like it, blah, blah. I can't even know. That's the only way. He goes on Larry King Live. Larry King asks him, if a Jew doesn't take Jesus Christ, will he go to hell? That's what you believe. That's what you teach. And what did he say? Well, Larry, I don't know. I can't be God. I don't know what God will do. He crawfished so bad away from the gospel, he had to put an apology letter out the next day. It's a little late, Joe. 
You were in front of millions of people and you could have gave the gospel truth and you backed off. Why would you do that? Because it's an inconvenient truth. People don't like the truth. And that's what you have. And that's why he says, you're wretched, you're miserable. How many of y'all, how many of y'all know miserable Christians today? I know a ton of them. I met a bunch of them yesterday. I was in church, but I don't know. I don't, they're just miserable. They got away from Jesus Christ. And they're poor and blind and naked. I pray the Lord would show us the riches of himself. I pray the Lord would not let us be blind to the truth. And I pray the Lord that we wouldn't be naked in his presence. Look at verse 18. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve and that, that thou mayest see. See, there's, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when you study these verses like here in verse 19, it implies because we're all believers are going to be in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, a thousand year reign. There's a thousand years Jesus is reigning on this earth before New Jerusalem comes down. Well, if you study that out, it implies that if you're a Christian and you're not right with Jesus Christ, you're going to be in rags for a thousand years. You're, going to be, you're not going to have a white robe. You're not going to have the raiment. You're, not, you're going to be in rags. That's what this, some stuff's applying here. It's a scary thought. Look at verse 19, though. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. You know what? He still loves you. He loves you, and that's why he's getting on to you. Amen? That's why we get on to our kids. We get on to our kids because we love them. And we want them to straighten out. We know what they're doing is not good for them. That's why we get on to our kids. We don't get on to our kids because we're mean or we're hateful. We get on to our kids because we love them. And Jesus is getting on to this church and on to us this morning because he says, I love you guys. That's why I'm rebuking you. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. We need to be more zealous to repent of the sin we're doing and say, you know what? I need not be doing this anymore. Jesus isn't happy with this. You know what? I feel miserable right now. And maybe that misery is coming because Jesus is not happy with me Happy with me because I'm living in this sin or doing this kind of sin. Maybe I need to straighten that out and try to get, fall back in love with him. Amen. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Before I go on to verse 20, look at this Creflo Dollar. This is a tweet from Creflo Dollar, the great prosperity message pastor. He says, Jesus bled and died for us so that we can lay claim to the promise of financial prosperity. Can you believe that? I don't know about Creflo, but Jesus bled and died for my sins, not for my bank account. But that's the nonsense that's preached. Hashtag prosperity in Christ. Hashtag wealthy living. Hashtag abundant life. Hashtag idiots, what he should have put on there. No, Jesus Christ bled for your sins. He died for your sins. The problem with you is not your bank account, brother, sisters. The problem with you is your sins. And if you're in here and you're lost and you don't have Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, those sins are going to send you to hell. But I got good news. In Jesus Christ, you can go to heaven. Amen. He'll pay for your sins. He'll, he bled for your sins. All you have to do is receive the free gift of Jesus Christ. That's what all that's about. But this is what the world gets. And you know who should be, you know who should be preaching against that? Well, you, Pastor. No, you. 
When you, because you're with your friends, you're with your coworkers, you're with your family, and when they bring up some nonsense like that, you need to stand up and say, "That's not what the Bible says." I've got a Bible, and it says Jesus died for my sins. That's nonsense. You know, some of us need to hear that. There's some of us in here, including me. I've been on the wrong path, and somebody had the guts to tell me, "You're going wrong." And did I was I happy with them? No, I didn't like it. I didn't like to hear it. But I humbled myself down and realized, you know what, maybe I am wrong. After I got mad for about a month. But somebody had the guts to tell me. Amen. Then they knew they were going to make me mad and they still told me. Behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Verse 20. This is, a, this is a modern day Catholic church. Look at the millions of dollars put into this thing. Man. Amazing. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. If you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you, he's not over by me right now. I already belong to him. He's standing behind you. And he's speaking to your heart and he said, will you, will you let me into your heart? I love you. Will you let me? I died for you. Will you let me into your heart? See, what's the amazing thing about this book, when we finally got a hold of this book in 15, uh, at the end of 1500, 1611, we got a hold of this book and started, the Bible started becoming really common to common man. What, they, what we started finding out when you start reading this book from Genesis to Revelation, this book is not about the 99 sheep that are found, it's about the one lost sheep. Up in Genesis, when God has created Adam and Eve, He comes looking for Adam. Adam, where are you? He comes in the garden, He says, Adam, where are you? Jesus Christ says, when that one lost sheep is lost, you go and you look for that lost sheep, you put that lost sheep on your shoulders, you bring it home, and there's much rejoicing. That's your soul. He's coming to this room this morning, and he wants you. He's already got me, I'm in the fold. But if you're in here this morning, he might be knocking at the door of your heart. Saying, open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Come and dine. Come and dine. The master saith, come and dine. There's nothing better than to sit down in fellowship with Jesus Christ. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even, also, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne, he that hath the ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Brothers and sisters, that's a, that, chapter 3, verse 20, this one that's up here on the screen. It's a beautiful verse to try to encourage somebody to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's what it is for. That's a really good verse. But you know what that verse is really saying? That's Jesus standing outside the door of the church. <laughs> He's standing outside the door. How many churches and praise, I pray and, 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 and plead with the Lord that He's not outside our church. That He's welcome in here. That he knows he, if he comes in here, we're going to glorify him. We're going to talk about him. It's going to be nothing but him, Jesus Christ. But how many churches maybe he's sitting outside and he said, well, I'd like to come in, but y'all won't let me in. That's what that really is. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, we're about to give you an opportunity. We're going to have a quick invitation, and we'll give, we'll give you a chance to come on down the aisle and get saved. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you humbly. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I thank you for these words, Father, and I thank you for these people, Lord, that have an ear to hear, Lord, the very attentive this morning, Lord God. And I know, Father, that your Holy Spirit's moving, leading, guiding, directing us. And, Father, I pray, Lord, for anybody, and I need the sound of my voice, that doesn't know Jesus Christ, Lord, this is their chance. Lord, we're not trying to get them to come down and join the church, Lord. 
We want them to know, Lord, we're not trying to get them to come down here and get baptized, Lord. We just want them, to come, want them to come down here and get saved. For you to meet them down here, Lord God, and to save them like you did me all those many years ago, Lord. And it's the best decision I know I ever made. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a savior right now. Same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care.
upon him.